Pursuing your future doesn't end at 40. In fact, it may mark the beginning of knowing who you are, what you're capable of, and what you really want. But knowing what's next and how to get there can be a challenge, especially when old narratives play on repeat. Liberty Road is here to share stories so that you can consider your possibilities, pursue your purpose, and move into your future with intention. I'm your host, Netta Jones, and we're here to listen, learn, and liberate dreams one episode at a time. Well, hello, Liberty listeners. Welcome to another episode of Liberty Road. And today we have one of those rare and distinct pleasures of listening to somebody for the second time and really learning about how she's grown and shifted into the newest iteration of her brand. She was our number four podcast, Kirsten Blazik of A Thousand Times Better. Welcome back to the podcast, dear one. It's good to have you. Hi, Neta. It's good to be back (laughs) for sure. And listeners, I want you to go back after you listen to this episode and listen to Kirsten's first one. It is still just as relevant now as it was back then. And we'll give you some great context into how she launched and grew and now is doing the work that she's doing, which is still in the same industry, but just slightly shifted. And we're going to learn a little bit about that. Kirsten, give us a little bit of context on what A Thousand Times Better was and what it is now. Well, (laughs) I started (laughs) A Thousand Times Better in... Eight years ago. When was that? 2016. Yeah. I started as a staging company based in LA or the Pasadena area, but serviced the whole of LA. I started with nothing, (laughs) no furniture, no storage, nothing, and pretty quickly grew my staging business so that it was... Yeah, like a a very quick growth. And I went from storing stuff in my basement in my house to my basement in my garage, then to my basement and garage in a storage unit and then a warehouse. <laughs> and um, yeah, I think we really had a lot of fun staging in LA, a lot in the Northeast LA area, but, but all over. Yeah. We had a little bit more of an eclectic um take on staging, a little bit more of a design-focused take on staging. Um, At the time I started, staging was a pretty, it was a smaller business than it is now. Now it's pretty much standard. You, you know, you're selling your house, you stage your house. At that point, it definitely was not as much of just like a standard. So I think I was able to find like a little bit of a niche in the market where it had been a little boring and predictable as an industry. And I decided to start buying vintage things and fun fun things and made our houses a little a little different. So that grew really yeah. quickly and as that grew, we started to get asked more and more about design work. So 4 years ago, I hired pretty specifically somebody who had actually gone to design school unlike myself. <laughs> I have no technical training at all, but I had the best kind of training, which was staging. <laughs> Uh, Yeah. If you want to learn how to problem solve stage houses. (laughs) So I did that and then hired somebody with technical skills and felt a little more comfortable at that point to start taking on actual renovation projects. So that was four years ago, basically almost exactly four years ago. 
And now we are just a design firm and we no longer stage. Although I do still have a warehouse full of furniture. Which is amazing because you've had two massive sales and gotten rid of I can't even tell you guys. I will have to post pictures. <laughs> but I I went to one of the sales and it was outside of a like an industrial park area. Furniture everywhere. I don't know where you put all this stuff. It was stacked pretty like Tetris. It's yes. like Tetris in there for sure. Yes, I've seen yeah. it. It's insane. Yeah. So you hung on to a few things. I kept a lot, actually. Like, you know, a lot of it's vintage and yeah. there was definitely a lot of more high well I don't want to call it generic because it's not generic but stuff that was store-bought but there was also a lot of stuff that I have collected over the last eight years really good rugs and arts and textiles and furniture too so there was definitely stuff that I didn't I'm not a hoarder in my house at all, but, but with regards to business, like the stuff that I've collected, I it has a special place in my heart and I just wasn't ready to, sure. to sell any of it. So I kept all of the good, eclectic, interesting vintage items. I can basically go in my warehouse, which is kind of crazy, even before the sale, and tell you exactly where I got every single thing which is nuts, but I can literally be like, I was on Yucca and I picked that up in that flea market and I got that in that thrift store. And like, I just remember everything. So I did keep it. I didn't really know why I was keeping it, but we are still doing styling jobs. Like anything we can do without a mover. Okay. I was just going to ask you, what is the distinction between staging and styling for a house? Basically just don't need movers. So anything that we can like come in and style your existing stuff, we can bring additional throw pillows, you know, extra textiles, rugs, small pieces of furniture, art, and then yeah, just like really zhuzh. So that's mainly still for, for real estate. I haven't really explored. I know that there's also... You know, we could be styling editorial and we haven't, that we're, we're sure. busy. We haven't even gone down that route. But I also wanted to keep the furniture for our own, for our own use. Like at the end of a design project, you may sure. have gotten it so far, but you might not have all the layering pieces in place, but you want to yeah. photograph. So in order for us to style in a way that's on brand at the end of a design project, when we want to photograph. I wanted to have access to stuff that felt authentic to me, which is the stuff I own. So I kept it. (laughs) It was so smart because I know having, you know, I've retired my consulting business, but having worked with so many designers, that's a real issue. It's hard for them to get photos of finished work because they've, they've done the work and there's no furniture in the space. And then they're not able to show people what they've actually done. And one thing that's unique about you, in fact, I remember when I first met you, I knew you sort of socially. But when I first got to know you and your brand, I could have identified if you staged a house or not. I was like, that's one of Kirsten's. That's one of Kirsten's. You had a very developed brand or aesthetic early on. And I think that was probably a large part of your success. People were like, that's the brand that I want, or that's the brand that's going to help move this house, right? It showed a, a much more fresh approach to staging. And I don't want to get into it too much because there's a whole episode dedicated to your story. But for our audience, I want them to know that you did not come from a design background, although you were very creative as a young person, that you were a nurse, that you were a newly single mother at the time when you launched your 
staging project that people saw your home and said, hmm, you're really good at this. (laughs) Could you help me? So all of this was organic growth, something that you sort of leaned into that you knew how to do. It came at a time in life when you really had to consider what was next for Mm -hmm. yourself. And it wasn't just you twiddling your fingers and saying, I think I'm going to start a whole new business. It all kind of unpacked organically. And I think that's why I want people to go back and listen. It is a really compelling story. Thank you, Nina. Yes, it definitely was a do or die situation for me. It wasn't like I wasn't bored. I needed a job, but I, (laughs) (laughs) but I definitely took a chance. I started looking for jobs back in nursing and I don't know, something in my gut was like, this is not what you're supposed to be doing. And then I don't, I, I'm a big believer in spirituality and the universe. And I don't yeah. think I manifested this because I didn't even know what that was at the time. But yeah, I did listen to my gut for sure. And my gut was saying, you're not supposed to be working eight or 12 hour shifts. Like that's just not your life. So yeah, yeah. I, I definitely got a few lucky breaks from a random mother from my kid's school coming to the house and saying, why are you not doing this for a living? You're going to design my friend's house. Me saying, don't be ridiculous. That's so silly. And then doing it anyway. And then that's basically how this whole thing started, which is crazy. Yeah. I'm going to call her name out right now, if that's okay. Because I yeah. don't think I've yes. ever properly like thanked her. Stephanie yes. Zladini, you're amazing. You started my career. Thank you mm. so much. Well, we'll have to make sure Stephanie hears for sure. this. Because that, that, is, that is amazing. And when you started out, With staging, and you mentioned it earlier, you didn't really understand the undertaking that it was. Like, even just the finances to afford all of that furniture. Like, you guys, Kirsten's (laughs) warehouse was a beast. I can't even explain to you the amount of furniture that we're talking about. When she says stacked, we're talking about like three or four levels. We're talking about like Ikea kind of stacked. Like when you go in and you're pulling out furniture, it was that sort of thing. So how did you sort of know that after all of this investment, was that an animal? What just happened? <laughs> that was I hilarious. Love the <laughs> but the cats are still roaming around. So That's I will try fantastic. and keep them at bay. <laughs> No, no, that's great. It adds to it. Um, It's like, what just happened to the screen? But you invest all of this Mm. time and energy and money. Again, people can go back and listen to learn how you did that. But then you decide, I'm going to part ways with that? Like, what is that story? Well, again, it's a gut. Yeah. My mental energy was done. Like, I had Mm. done staging as well as I could do it and what I wanted to do with it. And... I definitely had moved on mentally. So it was getting harder. In a sense, you were bored? Not bored. Of the work? Just needed more. Yeah. It's also a very difficult job. It's physical. Yeah. It's a hustle. It's a constant changing of schedules. Like, think a house is going to be ready on a certain day. You're told it's going to be ready. You get there. The house right. isn't ready. And I wasn't doing any of this administration stuff. But creatively, I just wasn't feeling ch- challenged buy it anymore like I'm not trying to sound arrogant but I felt like I had done I had done that and I had moved on 
And you had learned from it oh and my it gosh, had served so its purpose in the in the business. That it doesn't sound arrogant at all. Yeah. It sounds like it was time for you to shift. Was this shift, and I just, I have to ask because we have heard so much of this. Was this pre-pandemic that oh, you had been thinking about yes, this? Yes, I had. Or was this, okay. okay. I had, like I, I definitely had a like end date in mind, but I just want to say that I never do anything in business very in a very structured way. <laughs> so everything I do is just on a little bit on the fly and instinctually. And instinctually, I knew that I was done. And I had even written, I remember on the first of the year, and I can't remember if it was 2019 or 2020. None of us can. Right. <laughs> it doesn't it matter. It could have been the year of the pandemic or the year before the pandemic. But I had on the first, I had written in a journal what I wanted. Oh, I'm saying I'm not structured, but I obviously have some idea. But I, yeah. I had written down like what I want to happen this year. I think it was 2020. Yeah. And one of them was to, to only focus on design and close down the staging business. But it was a very hard hamster wheel to get off. At that yeah. time, the design aspect of our business was not even 50%. So to get rid of staging, I had to feel like design was able to pay all the bills <laughs> and the staff. Yeah, because now you have a team of people, oh, yeah. by the way. It's yeah. not just you oh, no. and an assistant. You have a whole team of people. You have a warehouse that you're paying for. Yeah, a lot of overhead. So I think like the financial aspect of like, Getting rid of staging was, it was scary. It was like I was, I had a business that was viable (laughs) and was making money. And I was trying to get rid of that business and do something that at that time wasn't making a ton of money. It certainly, maybe it was making 20% or 25% of the business annual income, but that's not a lot. So I was trying to get rid of the thing that made 75% and start something new that was at that time, maybe making 25%. So it definitely was hard to say no to staging jobs because we had bills to pay. Sure. It was hard to get off the hamster wheel. So honestly, the pandemic did me the biggest language around. This has to be so careful, but sure. just purely from, I'm talking about sure. it from my perspective with regards to my business. Of it course. allowed us to, well, temporarily we had to stop, right? There was like six weeks where we couldn't stage, but it shifted everything. I lost the girl who I had employed to be my staging manager because she had two young kids. She was a single mother, couldn't take the chance of getting sick. She had two elderly parents. So she couldn't work anymore, which meant I had to step back into actively staging. We did it temporarily with me and some of my design staff. (laughs) We just did what we could. And then Jillian, who, if you listen to the first podcast... Jillian, who yes. was my original staging manager, she came back basically on a short-term basis just to get me through the end of the year. And then she moved back to Ireland, which is where she's from. So that really forced me to say, am I going to hire somebody else to keep doing this or I just need to be done? So it it was like all of these chain of events and none of them were pre-planned, but all of this happened and I was like, well, this is my chance. Like, this is my time to stop. Was your team aware that that was yeah. the direction that you wanted to go in? And so everyone's yeah. on that same page. So it was a matter of when, not if. I mean, I'm just going to be completely honest right now. I am not going to pull the wool over anybody's eyes. And for anybody who likes a thousand times better and loved our staging, I'm going to let you know that laterally and maybe for a year and a half towards the end, I actually hate it. Pulling for jobs. Yeah. I'm Scottish, so I swear a lot. And my team, 
team would be in the office at their desks and I would be in the warehouse and I would be like swearing and pillows would be falling down on top of me and I would be so mad. I was just done. I was done. Done. I knew my energy couldn't be divided as much as it would have been if I had continued Mm -hmm. to stage. And I knew that I wanted to focus my energy on design. So the timing ended up being great. And it's, it's kind of that as, I mean, you aptly called it a hamster wheel, but it's interesting, you know, when we Mm -hmm. do look at the data, which you did, and 75% of your income of your revenue was coming from staging and you, you're like, it's not just our revenue, it's the amount of energy we're pouring into that. So you sort of intellectually understand that if I remove that 75% of our energy from focusing on staging, then we know that that design work is going to come. But you have to allow for for that time, whether it's six months or whatever, sure, for things t- to flip. And what you're saying is I had the pandemic. I had things sort of naturally slow down. God forbid we will never have that situation again. That doesn't mean people can't find themselves in your same situation. It just means that they have to plan for it. So can you imagine that if you didn't have this window of opportunity to for things to slow down, what would you have done? Because people are listening right now. And I know. Like, Great, I know. glad that worked out no, for you. No, I, I know. How do I do this now without a pandemic? But what you've learned is how to do that. So you went, whether it was full stop or you went down to 50% or 25% or whatever. The pandemic was, it was a push to start the process of slowing down, but yeah, it wasn't an end. Sure. Like we still staged all of 2020 in masks and gloves and all the nasty stuff that came with the pandemic. We staged through 2021 just on a, on a, a decreased scale. So it definitely wasn't just like a hard stop. It was, it was a teetering out. I think our last stage was maybe in the summer last year. Okay. And then we knew we were going to have warehouse sales and just kind of get rid of some of the excess stuff that I knew I didn't want to keep, which we did. And I think our first warehouse sale was in October. And like you said, (laughs) it was like the Rose Bowl. It was insane. I I was there early, obviously. And then I looked up at 10 o'clock and I was like, oh my God, (laughs) there was like the whole parking lot was filled with people. So, and I mean, that was amazing and it was a super successful weekend, but it definitely wasn't just a cut and dry. Like we slowly over the next six months just took less and less jobs. Yeah. So aside from not feeling a passion for staging anymore, what was it about moving into design? Was it the permanence of it? Was it taking on fewer jobs? What was it about that work that was more interesting to you? Yeah, I think, well, first of all, staging is only furniture, right? And we, as a staging company, we did do a lot of mini renovations, but it is only furniture. And I think as I grew as a creative and as I understood my own aesthetic and I understood what I liked and didn't like, the desire to only do superficial or things, paint, flooring was like, it just wasn't enough for me anymore. Like I could transform a staging house by redoing the floors, painting the cabinets, changing the hardware, changing the lighting, painting the outside, doing landscape. I did all of that. But at some point that wasn't enough. Like I had such a strong sense of 
what I like <laughs> and I wanted to go beyond just what I would call lipstick on a pig changes. I could make pretty terrible house look really pretty decent and make it sell with some renovation and pretty furniture. But it, but at some point I wanted to be able to get in and move walls. So it just right. naturally was a, a progression where I wasn't creatively being challenged enough by staging. I asked that question again, because I think a lot of times when listeners are stuck, they've already, they're already into whatever their business is and they're stuck. There's a natural inclination to just like, I'm out of here. Yeah. I want to abandon this altogether. And I think it's interesting to look within whatever you've built and say, well, where can I do more exactly. of the thing that I'm enjoying exactly. and have the, the impact that I want to have? And I don't have to no. throw the baby out with the bathwater, so to speak. So I think it's important to understand what was the distinction for you so that it helps us to understand our own. I mean, I think in business in general, like if you're running your own business, you have to know what you like doing and what you don't like doing. Yeah. Because if you get yeah. caught up in the what you don't like doing, you don't like your business anymore. <laughs> so figure out what it is that you love and try. And I know, listen, I spend, I would say on average, 70% of my day minimum dealing with business related stuff and 30% actually doing design related stuff. Mm -hmm. However, if I didn't listen to myself at all, and if I didn't hire out, if I didn't hire out for the things I really don't want to deal with, I would be doing a hundred percent business sure. all the time and no design. So sure. it's hard because every time you hire an outside service, you're like, can I afford this? Should I be doing this? Can I just do this myself? But believe me, it's always money well spent. Yeah. If it allows you to have the energy and the headspace to do the stuff that you actually led you into your business in the first place. Yeah. If you don't have that energy left at the end of the day to be creative, think about who you are, why you started and as authentic as you can stay to that, the happier you'll be. And you also brought in people that were doing the very things that you could let go of, like you weren't the person for that particular job. There was somebody who could do it as well as, if not better than you. So you were strategic about, I mean, even early on, you brought in somebody who is almost like a chief of staff. Yes. Who could really step in and take on some of that so that you could protect that 30% of time. So you could go back to doing the design work. You hired out somebody who came with a design degree, who really understood, mm -hmm. technically speaking, how to put these things together. And I thought it was interesting, too, that you brought in, you know, if that's your baby, you're a designer, it can be intimidating to bring in somebody at that level. But you were able to do that and figure out how to work. It's not always easy, but you were able to figure out how to do that. Were you concerned about giving away some of that? Oh, gosh, yes. I mean, in the beginning, as my staff grew, we're now a staff of 11, almost 12, almost 13. We're hiring right now. If anybody's out there that's an amazing senior designer, please go contact us. <laughs> okay. Or an intermediate. Yeah, I mean, I, it was a staff of me, then it was a staff of two, then it was a staff of three. As it started to really grow... I think when I got to like three to four, I think when I brought in Courtney, who's my COO yeah. in charge of everything, my right hand woman, I think when I brought her in, that was 
somewhat difficult for me because she is as creative as I am. She is the organized, structured. Where's your employee handbook? Where is your Google Drive? Where are your files? Where are these Where are things? Yeah. And I'm like, <laughs> like basically breaking out in hives. So she takes the whole business and makes it actually like a business. Right. <laughs> Everything has a place. It's organized. It's structured. I still like, she gives me workflows and deadlines because if she doesn't, I'll do something and then I'm very flowy. Right. So it's hard for me to be very structured. But she is like, here's your deadline for this. And I now love it. I'm like, great. I need that. Because if I don't, I'll be like, oh, I'm going to do this. Oh, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do this. Like a lot of creatives. Or I feel like doing this today. I don't feel like doing that. So that structure was incredible. But in the beginning, did I embrace it? No. I was like, don't tell me what. Nobody tells me what to do. (laughs) That's why you start your own business, right? Because you don't want to be told what to do. Absolutely. So it definitely was, it was hard to start letting go of aspects of the business in the beginning. Now I'm like, you go girl. When you're an entrepreneur and you're constantly having to make decisions, which I still do like a million times a day sure. to have somebody else that you can be like, you can make that decision. I, I'll help with this one or whatever. Like to have somebody to, to shoulder that burden yeah. is incredibly important to have somebody you trust in that role for yeah. sure. And and to be able to not only free yourself up to be the creative that got you to this point. And I, I'm going to make a, a comment. You keep referring to if you're a creative, I would say if you're a founder, because right. it, it, founders can get lost. I mean, they, they started something because that's what they're passionate about. I don't care if it's baking cupcakes and knitting, you know, or starting a tech venture, whatever it is, they got into it because there's something that they're passionate about. And if they don't spend time focusing on that passion, they are actually doing a disservice to their role in the company. You are the visionary. And if you are not continuing to create that vision and moving that vision forward, you are doing a disservice to the company, the brand, your clients. So bringing in somebody like a Courtney when you can't afford it yes, of becomes really, really important. And freeing yourself up to continue to be the founder, the visionary is a value. Yeah. And I think oftentimes as the founder, we're just like, I'm responsible, so I need to do all the administrative things. And we lose sight of remaining at the, the helm of the vision. Yeah. of the company. So I think that's an important distinction. You are in a stage in, in life, we joked about it before we went live <laughs> here, similar to me, yeah. that comes with lots of things. It comes with new responsibilities. It comes with aches and pains. It comes with sort of thinking about our legacy a little bit more, thinking about what we want to do, what we want to impact. There's a, a sense of urgency in terms of making mm-hmm. good decisions. Um, not like we're dying and it's over, but a little bit more like, I, I want to no. do what's important. I want to do what's important. Yeah. I want to do what means something. What would you say that this stage of life has done to kind of inform you in your work? Hmm. That's a really good question. I think I've always been very headstrong. I always have been. Yes, you are. <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> I've always known what I want. And I've been pretty good at going after the things I want to go after. But I think like the beautiful thing about being in your midlife 
I'm about to turn 49 this summer is that you just have a perspective that you don't have necessarily Mm -hmm. when you're younger. Like I have patience that I didn't have when I was younger because I also know that I've always wanted to control a lot of things. That's how I manage my own inner anxieties or whatever is by being in control. But through a series of life, life stuff, I've learned you can't control anything. And that is the most liberating thing that happens. I Well, for me, certainly in my midlife was the liberation of understanding that I actually can control anything. So, I mean, I can control small sure. things. I can't control really sure. big things. I can control myself. I'm sorry. I should, what I should say <laughs> is the only thing you can control yeah. is yourself. You can't control anybody else. You can't control how they feel, why they do the things they do, any of that. So being in control of myself, yes, and understanding myself better than I ever have. Like, actually took time also during the pandemic to really deep dive yeah. on a personal yeah. level to, to really like, you know, you, you're in life and you're just like going, going, going. You're like, well, this is how I think. This is what I do. You're not necessarily like stopping to like really reevaluate yourself. But through the ending of a personal relationship, I really had to do like a deep dive. Like, what do you want the next 20, 30 years at least to look like? Like at least where are you going? <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm hopefully yeah. nowhere. What do you want that to look like? Do you want to be in another relationship like the one you were in? No, you don't. Do you want to, do you want to be running on a hamster wheel of business every day and having no time for yourself? No. I listen to every podcast. I had these AirPods in for basically a yeah. year and I listened and listened and listened. I worked with a coach. I just really like did a deep personal yeah. dive. And I think ultimately the, that letting go of trying to control anything outside of myself. That is my answer to what have I learned about this point in my life. That's the biggest lesson. You've talked about the transition of going from staging to full-time design. What else? Like what else awaits Kirsten? What else awaits a thousand times better? I don't try to really predict the future. I really like living in the moment. And I think because this last eight years have been so fast and I've pivoted and pivoted and pivoted and everything's changed so much that honestly, like I live every day as it comes up and I don't look ahead. Like in 10 years, I want to be here and doing this. I have some things I know I want to strive for at some point, but I definitely don't try and pretend that I know like what will be a year from now every time I think oh things are like kind of stabilizing and we're good right now and we don't need any more staff or that it it ultimately changes a week later so I'm like why why did I even like at one point I was like I don't want to have more than 10 staff I just don't want to don't want to do that well now I do and I'm gonna have more than that and and then I I could say I don't want to have more than 15 but I might yeah like I just don't want to try and predict what's ahead. What do you say yes to? And what do you say no to? Is there sort of a like, if it, if it meets these needs, or this sort of these goals that I have, then I say yes. And if it doesn't, what are the boundaries that you put into place? Well, during my period of personal growth, I learned, I learned what a boundary actually was. So that was really important. 
I honestly like make 90% of my decisions based on a gut Mm -hmm. instinct. Like, does it feel right? I have two children. (laughs) They're teenagers. They obviously come into the equation. Like if I take this on, can I still be a present parent, present as I can be? But I really just listened to my gut. Like, does this feel right? And there was an opportunity that came up. I can't really say what it is. Yeah. That at the time it came up, maybe like six or seven months ago, instinctually, I was just like, I can't take this on. Yeah. And I sh- probably shouldn't be taking it on right now either, but I'm going to. But uh, I passed on it at the time. And I was just like, I just can't can't deal with this. Don't want to do it. It just doesn't feel right. And then some things changed. And um, that opportunity that presented itself six months ago that I said no to, I've decided to pursue. So... I don't really know what changed except for now it feels right. right and it didn't feel right before. One of the pieces of work I did was a human design uh-huh. yeah. thing. And uh, my uh, human design is run by my gut, which makes perfect sense because almost every business decision I've made, it's all been gut based. I decided to focus on female founders over 40 and kind of made that decision. And in February, it was like, that's it. This is what, these are the stories I want to tell. This is the the space I want to be in. But I can't tell you how many times people have said, my gut, my gut, Mm -hmm. my gut, my gut. And I don't recall hearing that as much when we were talking to a wider audience. So I don't know if that comes with experience that Mm -hmm. we're just learning that I should have trusted myself the first time. And now over time and practice, we're like, I can I can lean on myself, I can rely on myself. I trust her more than I ever have. But it's interesting to me how often it comes up and I myself am trying to learn from from hearing these. You talk about you had your ear pods in listening to all these stories. Every week I'm listening to women tell me their stories. I'm like, "Hey, yeah. what can I learn from this? How can I learn?" Right. It seems that you've always tried to figure out what's good for the brand. You've been very good about protecting the brand and where you're heading, but also what's what's good for me. Mm-hmm. What can I say yes to and no to? So it seems like that has continued to be the case. Well, I think that was a learned by necessity type yeah. situation. Like I had I had to learn. Like I'm driven and I'm passionate and I, I want to put myself in 20 million different places every day. But I think one of the beautiful things as we were talking about is getting of getting older is understanding that doing everything at like 1% is useless. Yeah. You have to be able to say no and you have to be able to self-care. And for me, there's some really dumb things that I need to do to feel good. And this, you could say this was vain or vanity or whatever, but I need to have my nails done. Like that's just, I need to be able to work out. I need to have time to work out. I need to get my nails done. I need to have time for myself in order to be able to put myself out there for the business. If I don't self-care, I'm useless for my children. I'm useless for the business. Like I'm just, I'm a, I'm a shell. So learning that was and is a very, very important aspect of staying like mentally healthy and being able to be present for everybody in my life. Yeah. It's funny how we hear that self-care thing and we think it's like, oh, we're being selfish versus we've learned to love ourselves well. Like why do we treat ourselves worse than we would expect others to treat us. And it's a lesson that I think comes with time and practice. 
Yeah, I mean, as women, we I'm not going to get into some big high and mighty <laughs> story about misogyny yeah. or what, but that overarching society that we all grew up in that yeah. I think made it a lot harder or took longer. And I don't think this applies to young women now at yeah. all, but women of our generation, for sure, had many, many years of undoing the misogyny they didn't even mm-hmm. know existed mm-hmm. <laughs> in order to realize that it's okay to say, I need to go shop today I need that for myself or I need to go get my nails done because we were always taught to like be there for somebody else don't be there for yourself I don't think that's the case I don't see that in my daughter and I don't see it in my daughter's generation but I'm not saying misogyny is gone it certainly isn't it was there and it was a thing to overcome for women in our of our age for sure and we've somehow valued I'll speak for myself valued the I can do all of those things like oh, we gosh, didn't yeah. remove anything. Yeah. We didn't swap anything or exchange anything for something yeah. else. We just said, okay, put all of that on my shoulders. Yeah. And all we were told was just put on your cape and and go. Totally. Until we realized that n- not only is it not possible, it's not good. It doesn't come, no. it doesn't accomplish anything. It doesn't accomplish the reason I believe we were each here, which is to really identify what the, that thing is, not to try and become... All things to all Everything. people. Yeah. No, no. Okay. I feel like you and I could go on and on just about that. We totally could. <laughs> but I yeah. want to get into our fast five really quickly. I know that you're very conscious about meditation and things like that, but what's a mm-hmm. hack, a book, a podcast, not including ours. I won't, I won't put you on the spot for that, but that you, something that you have been listening to that you want to share with, you know, an audience of women over 40. Well, it's not business related at all. Yeah. And, and it is harking back to my like period of personal growth that yeah. I went through like a year and a half, two years ago. I listened to the Mark Groves podcast, yeah. like every yeah. single episode. I found that to just like it hit for me just from my childhood and all the things that I navigated through and moving here and being an immigrant. And, you know, people it's, it's funny because like I don't like I've lived here half my life now, but I did still leave my family in Scotland and yeah. I and I started a new life. I had to re-identify like who is Kirsten in America? Like Kirsten knows who she knew who she was in Scotland, but she didn't really know who she was here. And I got married, you know, relatively young and and I, and to an American and I had moved here for that person and so there was just there was a lot of like stuff I had to to work through. So Mark Groves for me was like a god. He's funny, he's down to earth, he's real, and his guests are super interesting, and he was my guy. And then, in one word, um, Kirsten, how would you describe midlife? I love it, <laughs> and I'm not joking. I really do. I have honestly never been happier in mm. my entire life, and wow. I think, like, sometimes I look at myself and I'm like, "Who are who are you?" However, I don't care because I feel like for the first time in my entire life that I I know myself. I actually genuinely love who I am, and I love my life. I don't love it every single day or every single sure. second of every single day, but I I don't think I've ever been happier. I would not go back. There's like literally nothing. <laughs> I would look like I was forty again. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, let's but not get started that, on like, that. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I joke, but no, I, I, I think if you can like take all the lessons that you've had in the previous 41, two, three years, whatever you've had on, on the planet and 
look at them with a sense of gratitude and they've not, it's never pretty. Life is not pretty. It's complicated. It's dirty. But if you can look at that stuff with fresh eyes or look back on it and be like, okay, well that taught me that, that taught me this, this made me learn a little bit more about myself. This made me, then how can you go back? Like, how could you ever want to go backwards? Like it, you're here in this present for a reason with all the lessons that came your way for a reason and you just have to listen to those lessons so I love it I love it there's two things that come up uh, from what you just said well one you look great so we joke about going back for to 40 but I have found and I think it's just because I'm refocusing my attention but so much beauty in looking at women exactly at the age they are and not saying she looks good for her age but just she looks good and you know when we kind of shift our paradigm that makes a, a big difference and you look good and then the other thing is you talk about the messiness and the dirtiness of life and the, you know, it's going to sound so cheesy, but I if I believe this to be true, that if we look at the natural world and we see what emerges from the ground, from the dirt, from, you know, the the center of a, a brown rock is where we find these gems, yep. <laughs> is where we find life blooming, is where we find these flowers. And it shouldn't surprise us that that's the case for us too. It's in the midst of all this that we can we can find beauty. And I love that for you, that has been in midlife. What a gift for us to hear that, for people who haven't found that, to know that that's ahead of them. It's not just something that they've left behind, but there's more to be seen. And it also came with a lot of hard decision-making and hard work and pain and intentionality and time listening. And so I hear all of that too, that it wasn't just Mm -hmm. one day you woke up and said, I love my midlife, right? Not at all. No, I went through. I went through it to get to a happy place for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for being honest and vulnerable about that. Um, It's truly a gift. And then what would you say to somebody, a friend of yours, who's your age, who's like, there's no way I could start something at my age. It's over. I will never stop believing in women, for starters, like not bashing men at all. But I do think that we have an incredible capacity Mm. for growth, change, learning. And I don't care if you're 80. (laughs) Like If there's something that you want to do and that will enhance the remaining years in your life, then just do it. Do that. If you believe in it, other people will believe in it too. So if you really believe in it in your soul... Others will follow because it's, yeah. it's, you're not making it up. It's something that's real to you. So I just say, go for it. Go for it. If you can will it, you can make it happen. Like yeah. it's all up here in the mind. If you were mentoring your younger self, you go back to Kirsten at 20. What do you want to tell her about midlife? Well, I know that Kirsten at 20 would have been like, she's washed up and done at 40. I would say, girl, you don't know anything. (laughs) You know absolutely nothing. Like you think you're living the best part of your life right now and you don't know a thing. You are, I I mean, I'm not just saying being in your 20s either. It's a beautiful, every point of your life is a different experience, right? And it's there for a reason. Being in your 20s and being free and not having children and being being able to do whatever you want to do whenever you want to do it, that's amazing. But I would say you, you, hopefully you make it to 40-something because you've got every single day we're alive. It's like, it's a blessing. blessing. Mm. We've been having 
really busy times at work and there's been stuff, but every single day I'm like, I try and sit in a place of gratitude. One, for the fact that I'm still here. Mm. <laughs> Two, that I'm doing something that I love to do. And three, just like every every day is just like, it's a lesson. Every day is a lesson. Yeah. Like there's not one big lesson a month or what. It's every single day. If you can reflect on that day, something from that day is something that you can take into the next day. So I would just say 20-year-old Kirsten, sit tight. <laughs> of course, we have to ask this question. And you actually mentioned it earlier, talked about being liberated. But what has launching and shifting and pivoting a thousand times better done to liberate Kirsten? I am liberated because I... I now know that I only control me and I do things to help like control other things. Of course, I try and make good decisions and whatever, but running your own business requires a like, I, I hate to use the word pivot, but like every single day, you've got to be a little bit flexible. You yeah. were like, like today I started my day thinking I'm going to do this and this and this and five calls got added onto my day. So today I'm now like, okay, so I'm doing this, 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 this and this, right? So I think just being flexible and learning to just roll with the, like roll with the punches. Yeah. Live one day at a time. So today's problems are today's problems. Tomorrow's problems will be tomorrow's problems. Mm-hmm. Like don't take all the problems and make them today's problem. That's, that's how I mm. basically function. Get through that day. And then the next day you'll wake up, you'll have your coffee. You'll feel a little bit more invigorated and you'll deal with another set of problems, but it's not all the problems that can be solved in one day. And there you heard it, ladies, from <laughs> from the mouth of the queen herself. Kirsten, thank you. Thanks for taking oh, so time again to chat with us. Yes. Always a pleasure. It sounds like there's a third podcast that we need to have with you <laughs> when you can reveal whatever this um, amazing thing is that you're working on. But in all seriousness, thanks especially for sharing the more intimate parts of your life and being really honest about that. I always say we can't empower women if we're not telling each other the truth. So thank you for doing that. You're welcome. Always good to see you. You too, Neda. Liberty listeners, thank you guys for sharing this hour with Kirsten and me. And we will make sure to share all of the things that she mentioned, including Mark Groves and all of her handles, because Instagram in particular, you'll want to go see what she's doing. Some really beautiful stuff. And we will talk to you guys next week. Bye. Liberty Road is broadcast on all platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and more. If you like what you've heard, please follow, rate, and review Liberty Road on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. It helps us to know if these episodes are inspiring and equipping your ventures. Liberty Road is produced by Netta Jones and Elizabeth Joy Windham and music by Jordan Flowers.